and welcome to Grip Lock, Foundation Disc Golf's weekly podcast. I'm Hunter, joined as always by Trevor. It's good to be back in the studio. Yeah, now I know where to look. Instead, I'm just staring off into the distance like last podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I, the camera is there and I know I can look at it, but I also like kind of look off into space if I don't have somebody to talk to. So, you know, it's better to have something to look at, you know, that kind face. <laughs> I needed it. <laughs> it might not get so kind later in this podcast because <laughs> I, I know there's some points in here that we have. I'm fully prepared to get heated. Opposing takes on. Yes. Uh, but we're going to start it off right into it with something that Trevor and I might not have opposing takes on, but I mean, actually, 90% of people I've seen agree with us. The PDGA Those has dummies. taken a step back and. And basically, let me just read read a statement from the PDGA. This is from their website concerning the FPO Player of the Year. Uh, they basically did a review on the point system, and they said, The review determined that the changes made to the Player of the Year points formula, while appropriate in context of the impact of COVID-19 on the tour schedule, were not communicated early enough in the season to give players a fair chance to optimize their schedules under the new system. The PDGA sincerely apologizes for failing to meet the standards of clarity and communication required of the sports governing body. Basically, the article goes on if, and says if the 2020 original system had been used, Paige Pierce would have won, and therefore they made Paige and Katrina Allen co-player of the year. So stupid. Uh, so thoughts on this? Here's here's my thoughts on this. Um, number one, this happens, I swear this just happened in disc golf not that long ago where I forget what ha- what it was, but when you make a mistake like this and everybody knows it and they're calling you out, even Paige Pierce calls you out on it, you are doing more damage by retracting. Like you, sometimes you just have to just go with it. Like by retracting it, they have lessened cats award and given page half an award. So like nobody really wins and you've just admitted you were wrong. Like in this case, like there are times where there's a time to like apologize and move on. But in this case, they should have just like not said anything. They should have just moved on and got it right next year. But like, I swear something like this just happened. I forget when it was, but like sometimes you just got to like, just stick to what you did. Just stick to it and oh, go with it. Cause this stinks. My main issue is November. I believe it was, they released the point standings and the new point thing. Yeah. Right? And then there was an and outcry. Everyone rages like, and what they the heck? still did it. It makes no sense. <laughs> yeah. Why? Like this doesn't make sense. Paige should be the winner. Blah, blah, blah. Right. It all dies down. Yeah. It's done. Mm-hmm. Then they make the announcement player of the year. Yeah. Katrina Allen. It, it stirs it all back up right. months later. It just died down. And then they stirred up again. <laughs> and then they say co-player of the year, Paige Pierce. Like you had time. You're exactly right. It's not like you didn't vet the field. You you announced like, hey, here's their new player of the year points, whatever. Mm-hmm. And guess what? Everyone was mad. All the same people spoke out about it. Mm-hmm. And then you had months, like three or four months, I forget what it was, to say, you know what? There, We made a mistake. Player of the year this year, Paige Pierce. We announced it too late. Whatever. Yeah. And guess what? Everyone been like, okay, thank you. You made the correction. Done. Right. No, you you doubled down on it. Yeah. You were like, no, I don't care what anyone says. Katrina Allen, player of the year. Boom. Done. On the NPO side, they re-ran the points. Chris Dickerson won either way. Like we've said and everyone it's said. not a big problem. Chris Dickerson wasn't a big deal. Like he, no. he could, probably deserved it. Could be argued, but it's yeah. not a big deal. This there was an was argument to worse. be made, but it, it was at least it made sense. Katrina Allen just yeah. didn't make sense. And so now, like you said, they basically took the award away from Katrina because now they like lessened her award and then they just gave half a trophy to Paige. And like who wins in that scenario? Right. No, no. I guess they both get a bonus. So maybe they both do win. I mean, they probably personally (laughs) win from their sponsors. Sure. But like in their the PDGA isn't even really saying they're wrong. 
Because, like, they literally said... No, they're just like, we... They're like, well, well, you know, we changed it. And while it was appropriate and correct with the impact of COVID on the tour schedule, you know, basically saying, like, well, we were right, but because there's an outrage, we got to do this. <laughs> yeah. Like, it's not even, like, addressing... They basically were like, well, the only mistake... The only mistake we really made was we announced it in November, which, you know, what's the big deal there? Like, that's pretty much all they said. That's what they're apologizing for, is announcing in November. Not the fact that you just took a player of the year away from someone who absolutely dominated the events they played and beat the person that you gave it to 83% of the time. But still, like you said, why even go back on it? Yeah, you should have just, they should have just rolled with it. It was over. It was over. No one was even thinking about it anymore. We were done with it. We're on to the next season. Everyone had said everything, and now here we are on our third podcast talking about this because you keep bringing it up. Yeah. Maybe they just like the bad press. You know, hey, all press is good press. I've seen a, I've seen more people ticked off at the PDGA this week over this than I've seen in a long time. PDGA this year has just been having a rough one with that whole new major announcement too. Mm, like, yeah. it, it's not really been a great. Time I even saw one random guy that's just in the middle of it was like, and on top of it, when is the PDGA going to build courses? What the crap are you using our money for? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I mean, we're just going after them. PDGA is curious entity, man. Very curious. Yeah. You know, we've, we've talked about doing the deep dive into their financial Their financials are interesting to say the least. Check them out. Yeah, you yourself. can find them. They're a nonprofit, so they're forced to release their yeah, financials. It's interesting because it is true. There's a lot of money that goes into PDGA. and There's a lot of question marks about where that money ends up. Exactly. Um, but one good thing that come from all this, well, I say good thing, is they've released the, well, I can't even say released because they didn't release a lot of information on it, but the new 2021 formula. Mm-hmm. Um, they've basically changed how much weight is to what. So they put weight more heavily onto elite series and majors, um, a lot more than A tiers, to where a disc golf pro tour or an NT win is now worth the same amount of points as four A tier wins. Uh, yeah. And a major win is basically worth 1.6 disc golf pro tour wins. So basically, the major is yeah. 100 points. Yeah, that's about right. Uh, disc golf pro tour national tour I is 60 points. Wonder how they points. came to that number, 1.6. Yeah, I don't know. I'll try and do the math. I, I honestly makes sense though when I think about it because like yeah, honestly, pro tours are so hard to win that like a major wouldn't be like twice as hard. No, it's not that much harder. But, but I expected 1. it to be. When I was like doing that. the math, I was like, oh, it's gonna be 1.5. They probably said 1.5, and they're like maybe a little bit more. I 1. did 1.5, <laughs> and it came to 90, and I was like. And why is it 100 points? <laughs> it's actually like the closest I was doing it on my calculator. Yeah. I was trying to figure it out to be precise. I got to 1.66667 and it still wasn't exactly 100. So I don't know what the actual math is, oh, hmm. but it's kind of, 1.6 got you to like 10, 100.5. Like so okay. I just left it there. Fair but enough. regardless, it was 100 points for a major win, 60 points for an elite series, 15 points for an A tier. And A tier, it looks like they only rewarded you for coming top three. And the top, the third place at an A tier was like the same as like 25th at a pro tour, basically. Oh, nice. Or something like that. Okay. So it, it seemed a lot more fair to where uh, this shouldn't happen again. Right. You know, because they're going to weigh the pro you tour know, and stuff way heavier. Yeah. I will say like with the um, pro tour and the PDGA with some of these things lately, like they have been making some really dumb mistakes, but at least they're coming around and fixing them. Um now, like like you mentioned earlier, they didn't really apologize and like admit they were wrong, like they probably should have. But they basically just said like, "Well, we're we're not wrong, right. but you're not wrong either." Right. There's a lot of very um, 
very confident, I don't want to say arrogant, but very proud people that work in disc golf that don't like being proved wrong. It seems yeah. like it's like the whole pro tour social media fiasco thing that went on. Like there's just a lot of people that do not like, like, I think you got to realize when you become a business entity in in like, in just general, like you have to be very much like apologetic because like, you know, it's like the whole cliche, like the customer is always right. They're not always right, but you're never going to help the situation by not by acting. proving them wrong. Yeah. So like yeah. you have to pick where you prove people wrong. I think if you prove the wrong people wrong. It's going to hurt yeah. you. Disc golf in general is just being plunged into this new era of accountability, accountability and sponsors, because now there's these outside companies that have been big money companies and they know how this is supposed to all work. Um, and as the game gets bigger, other people get into disc golf and they know how it should all work. So it's, there's a lot more of accountability and it's really good for the sport. It's going to be a very like good five or so years here where like stuff gets, gets changed around a lot and shifted around and, and it's the growing pains, right? It's, it's a good place to be, but it's just going to be, there's going to be a lot of things that have to change and will change because now the places are the things are in place to make that change have to happen. Yeah, there's so many more people holding them accountable. One final thing within all this announcement that I found very interesting is they left the rookie of the year qualification uh, as a pro who accepted cash mm. or registered as a pro um, after 2020 AM and Junior Worlds, which right. if you don't rem- if you don't remember that never happened. They didn't happen. So I think they're just using the like that date. Right. It's unfortunate. Uh, it's, it's very weird to me simply because like, let's say, let's put me in these shoes. Okay. Right. Obviously I was never the player to win rookie of the year, but let's say that I thought I was going to be, but I was like, you know what? I want to win Am Worlds first mm-hmm. and I'm in 2020. Then they cancel it. They cancel Am Worlds. So now I'm like, well, I'm not going to wait a whole nother year to try to win Am Worlds. Right. So I'm going to just go ahead and start playing pro. Okay. Right. And let's say that I'm like a filthy player and then I, I start playing pro like in June. Because Am Worlds was canceled well before then, and then you find out like, oh, well, sorry, you accepted cash about three weeks prior to when Am Worlds was supposed to happen. So therefore, your rookie season was that three weeks. Well, I mean, we know of a more brutal case than that. Well, yeah, Brody. Brody was like six days, wasn't it? But yeah, but Brody's. I'm saying Am Worlds didn't affect his decision. He right. probably would have still played Battle right. for Bedford, yeah. but his was only six days. Yeah, his yeah. was six days before when Am Worlds was supposed your, to happen. Your case, yeah, it makes sense. I'm saying that Am Worlds was like the determining factor, right? Because that that's a very true thing for a lot of players. Right. Like, I want to try to win Am Worlds, then I'm gonna be a rookie of the year. Absolutely. And yeah. then like Am and Junior Worlds doesn't happen, so you just move on. And like, I don't know. It, I think when that this what we just saw right there could potentially cause some stink and uproar when Rookie of the Year is announced next year. Well. I'm trying to think because, like, obviously, like that, the big one there is like it could affect Brody's bid. Who are the other guys? I wonder who the other rookies are that are going to be up there. It, I don't know, but it's usually not like a, a big name player. Kyle Klein is a pretty significant rookie of the year. But he, so he was playing pros all, all year. Well, I'm just saying, like, he was a pretty big name player that won rookie of the year. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. yeah I was saying when, the, when they win, they're normally not. I thought you were saying he was a pretty big, like, candidate. Oh, no. But, like, no, Mason no. Ford won. Yeah. You know what I mean? They're, they're players who, like, when they first win, they're normally not, like, huge names when they won, and then they get to be big yeah. names, because that's it's the same thing in, like, most sports, rookie of the year. Yeah. Um, Brody would be the bigger name in this case that has a chance at it. Yeah. But I'm just saying, it's going to be interesting to kind of see how it pans out, because, like, yeah, like if- so much about last year was weird that, personally, if I'm the PDGA, I'm just saying, like, if you, I don't know, I would just pick, I don't even, it's hard to even just pick a random date. Because AM Worlds, I agree, is a good 
normal one. I but would. when that event doesn't happen, then like technically, if I'm like since that's from the PDGA's website, it says after the 2020 Am Worlds, if I'm a rookie, I'm calling them and being like, so since that didn't happen. You know, I I didn't accept cash flow. What I would have done happened. is just never said anything about the criteria for the date. Waited till you were getting ready to announce it. Looked at the players. Look at the guy you want to make rookie of the year, and then see if you can make a case for him being a rookie. I would have done it on the on the back end. I don't know if I like that either. Why? Why not? Because then because then you don't have to even worry about anybody complaining. And then if the guy that you want to make rookie of the year works out, he works out. If doesn't, if he doesn't, then you can try to make your argument. What I think it all comes down to is this is where algorithm and trying to be all mathematical about these type of decisions falls apart. Right. There should just be be a a board or something like the rookie of the year. I don't know board of directors, whatever it is that these people and maybe it's a big board where there's different people influencing it right they're voting for rookie of the year player of the year yeah it's a and it's not just some arbitrary matter of fact thing because i might not tell the full story you know what i mean yeah i mean player of the year what if page went this hasn't happened but let's just say starting in january through may she didn't lose an event at all yeah then she tore her acl or maybe something more minor to where may through august she didn't play yeah couldn't play and then August through October, she didn't she didn't lose again. So yeah. she won every event, including majors and pro tours, that she could have played in and won. Mm-hmm. But then because of points, she's not player of the year in that scenario. Yeah. The only problem, you know I mean? the only problem, like I agree the committee uh, approach is the best approach. Committee is the word I was looking for. Um, but I think points do need to be weighed. Because, and I do think the only problem with committees, and this is talked about in pretty much every sport, but especially basketball, where MVP is such a prestigious like thing in basketball, it becomes political. The league gets an agenda. And that's where, like, LeBron James has not won an MVP in eight years. Kobe Bryant won one MVP ever. Like, MVP can be very dumb sometimes, the way it's picked. So maybe maybe you make it a weighted system. Where I, the, the I, points weigh 50% yeah. and the votes weigh 50%. That, that's what I would or say. Or something like that. I don't know. There's got to be a way. I just think that the numbers don't always tell the full story of the year. Yeah, I and I think, especially in this case, you just pick a random date. That'd be the same as just, like, June 1st. Like what? Yeah, it doesn't really make any sense. Yeah, because was Amworlds, Amworlds was also possibly delayed originally. I don't think they ever went with it. But then it's like, well, was it the delayed date or is it the real date? You right, know what I mean? Yeah. Like, there's so many things up in the air. Regardless, it was a very interesting article from the PDGA. You can read all of that that we're talking about. It's on the PDGA's main page. If you just click on the uh, where they announced Page as a co-player of the year. <laughs> um. Anyways, on to Waco. Uh, yeah. So I was actually at this event. It ended up being a super unique and interesting event on a number of different fronts. Yeah. Um, for many reasons that we're going to talk about, but it was a very, I think part of it that made it kind of fun and unique being there was the factor of the wind mm-hmm. that made every hole play different every day. Almost uh, the wind was typically in the same direction, but one day it's 10 miles an hour. Next day it's 20. You know what I mean? It's definitely fun, but we're going to talk about the MPO side first. There's several storylines to look through here. First off, I'm just quickly go through the top three. We had Nico LaCastro taking it down by three strokes over Kayla Visca, and then Bradley Williams in third. You might have realized, Hunter, you didn't just say any of the notable top pros. Where the heck were they? Well, I'll tell you. Calvin Heinberg was in fourth place. Paul McBeth was in fifth place. Chris Dickerson was in seventh place. Ricky Wysocki was in 11th place. Eagle McMahon, 47th, and I believe we just said Kevin Jones was in 54th? Yes. Kevin Jones in 54th. So those are some of the normal names I'm you see at the to top. I'm starting to think that Kevin Jones needs to pick it up or he's going to like lose his spot on my, um, you know, 
the bad boys of the disc golf pro tour <laughs> sort of deal because like I kept throwing him in there and he stinks this year. So and you even better pick it up, Kevin. A more weird fact to me because like Calvin fourth, Paul fifth, Chris seventh, Ricky 11th. Those don't really sound horrible no. or that bad. We didn't see any of those players on a lead card in round two or three. Yeah. It, which is, you, that's the weird when one. When you read me. that, I was almost a little bit surprised. I was like, really? They were that close. But a lot of them jumped up in their final round. Yeah. It's just because they never, they were never really in it. No. So like that, that those top guys were really the only ones that had a shot. Ricky went into the final day only like four strokes back. Yeah. But had a bad round. Not even a bad round. Like I believe his front nine, he didn't have a par, but he started like double bogey, bogey, and then went birdie, 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 bogey. Like, he was having a crazy up and down round. You can't take those. You take those big numbers. I've seen it so many times this year already where a guy just takes like a double or a triple and their entire round just gets thrown off the rails. Like, and it, they just, they'll birdie like the next nine holes and it doesn't even matter. Like they can't get back on track. It's, it's so hard to keep up with lead cards this year. Mm-hmm. Like disc golf is at the point now where somebody is going to shoot 13, 14 under like and if you're not if you're not up there and at least keeping pace like there's just nothing you can do well what's crazy to me was like this basically allowed us to see some players that we hadn't seen before mm-hmm. or either have never seen before or we don't frequently see yeah uh one of those being gannon burr i think this was mm-hmm. a big storyline out of this event first round shoots a nine under par 54 round one finds himself on the lead card so live coverage joe mez card um, as a 15 year old, mm-hmm. one five, 15, couldn't even, can't drive. He had to, his, I think his mom drove him to this event and is going to drive him to the other pro tours. Uh, he proceeds to follow it up with back to back four under pars, both of the next two rounds, four under, four under, and finishes in a tie for 11th place with Ricky and Emerson Keith. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you don't know much about Gannon, he's the youngest ever thousand rated player at 14. He started playing when he when he was ten, and when he was twelve years old, he had, he was already shooting some thousand rated rounds and was a nine fifty plus rated player. I wonder when uh, Eagle hit thousand because I remember like I mean, I don't think Eagle was really becoming a big deal on tour till he was like eighteen nineteen. Yeah, like he and he's kind of like our best now. We have Kyle Klein now is kind of one of our young guys, but like he was really our best example of like. Now I say that, although I don't, I think I say that because I'm older now. Because technically, like Paul and Will and all of them were in their very young age when they were getting on the tour, but I was also really young. So like they seemed old to me. But, well, but th- they we haven't. This young. We yeah, we haven't seen anybody like 15, 16 get on break into tour and start placing yeah. well. That's new. If you want to learn some more about Gannon, there is actually an interview with him on the Nick and Matt Show, which is on the Foundation Podcast Network on YouTube, or you can search the Nick and Matt Show. They're one of our, uh, they're our interview podcasts for the Foundation Podcast Network. But one thing that really surprised me during that interview with the Nick and Matt Show about Gannon is that he was not surprised. They asked him on a scale of 1 to 10, what would you rate your performance at this event? And he said a 7. And you're like, to be honest with you, you know, I had a slow start in rounds two and three. I didn't get off the tee how I wanted through the front nine. And I left a lot of strokes out there to where I think, you know, realistically, I, I, I probably should have been in contention or could have possibly even won this event. As a 15-year-old saying good that. good mindset. And then on top of it, they asked and they're like, well, were you surprised with your round one performance? And he was like, no. He's like, to be honest with you, you know, when we got back, the only thing that surprised me about it is where I was at on the leaderboard. He's mm-hmm. like, it just felt like I played a normal round of golf. And I was in the top four at a pro tour. And I'm like hearing all this. I'm like, 
what is what like <laughs> this is this is what I'm talking about where and he also mentioned in the Nick and Matt show that this is what he wants to do he said he's going to get a college degree just he feels like that's smart but you know this is what he wants to do as far as his career going forward yeah and this is what I was talking about when we saw Paul's contract is I think that this this is the type of thing that we're going to start seeing more and more is kids basically young teenagers when they're like picking and choosing sports disc golf's gonna if they like disc golf or even know about it it's gonna start becoming one that they're like hey i might be able to actually do this right because now you can see there's there's good money in disc golf like mm-hmm. there's several players making six figures and now we know of at least one player making seven figures a year yeah guaranteed doing this uh-huh. it starts to become a much more like legitimate you know option for them when they're looking into the future yeah uh so I'm expecting we're going to hear a lot more from Gannon in the future. I also expect we're going to start seeing some other 15 to 18, 19 year olds sneaking up there in the tour rankings. Yeah, I we are only a few years away from. I mean, just five years from now, there is just going to be a flood of really talented young players. It it's just starting to really heat up. Where like, I mean, we were just at that tour event, you know, a couple of weeks ago, and like the junior guys were out there. And anytime I watch juniors play, really, I'm like, these guys, like when I was really young and like 14, 15 playing disc golf, like I was a pretty good junior player and I was like nine, 10 rated. Like these guys like look like legit. They're like high 900 rated yeah. players. Like there it is going to start getting really competitive. Disc Gannon, golf, if you haven't seen his game, spitting image of a prime Will Shoestrick. Yeah, it's very like his exact. form, everything. It just I'm I'm pretty excited for what the future holds in disc golf in general. Yeah. Um, it's a i think we have a very bright future um Mm -hmm. not so bright is this next storyline there's a lot of people talking about this we i actually had a phone call from just a a listener um who wanted to make sure we talked about this on the (laughs) podcast uh because there's been so many people just upset about this yeah um which is nico's excessive time uh, this has been brought up multiple times but it seems like this tournament i think it was probably the wind to be honest with you really put him over the edge uh so i just want to read you a few things here um to kind of give you a little bit more context of how bad was this actually so the viewer that called me he said that every time nico put his mini down he would start a timer on his phone and the final round coverage he was averaging 45 seconds per throw 15 seconds over the limit you might be thinking to yourself, that's really not as bad as I expected. He did that for the other member on, members on the card, and they averaged between 8 and 15 seconds. So basically, at the high end of the average of the other three members on the card, they could all throw in the same amount of time it takes Nico to perform one throw. Mm-hmm. You might be like, okay, well, that's when he's putting or something. Well, he also started a timer as soon as he made it to the front of a tee pad, right? He said there was multiple times that it took him over a minute to throw and within that minute he would sometimes check the wind with grass six or more times before he finally threw so what needs to happen here what 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 is going on what needs to happen well here's okay so let me start by addressing the start the very root of this problem the root of this problem is that the language behind the rule that nico is apparently breaking is ambiguous therefore because it, it's um, the the language is something along the lines of once the player has a reasonable amount of time to establish his lie, thirty seconds clock. Reasonable amount of time is completely ambiguous, and Nico could literally just say, "I didn't have a reasonable amount of time to establish my lie," and there and right away you can note like it's 
in my in my mind, if he says that, like you can't argue against that. You'd be like, because reasonable is a subjective word. It, there's no like this is this reasonable means 15 seconds. No, reasonable means whenever he thinks it's reasonable. So that's the root of the problem. Um, the other thing is, um, as far as like him being penalized, um, disc golf is a, is pretty much a self governed game. So if the guys on his card are upset about it and think he's getting a competitive advantage, it's up to them to call him. Um, I don't think it'd be wrong if they did. And then my last sort of point is if I were in their shoes and I'm on the card, a guy taking a long time to play while it might be slightly annoying, I'm not considering it a competitive advantage because like the wind, I think was a lot of people's big argument. And here's the thing. Nico can wait as long as he wants on that wind it's not going to change as soon as that disc gets out of his hand, a 30 mile hour gust because wind like a steady, uh, like 10 mile hour wind throughout the day is not really going to change. Gusts are really what a guy would wait out to make sure he's not in the middle of a gust, but that could literally switch as soon as the disc comes out of his hand. So there's not really any prediction of that. He could actually hurt himself by trying to wait out a gust. So that that's kind of my points on it. So now you can take your turn. <laughs> well, before I get too started, Connor, the producer of the show, could you look something up for me? Uh, can you look up the PDGA? I want the actual wording on this time rule. Yeah. I just want to hear. I want to That's read it straight from the PDGA. Can you look that. up? Uh, just go to like the PDGA's official rules, and while I'm talking about what I think needs to happen, can you just look up the actual language of this 30 second yeah. time limit? That's a good. That's a good thing to have. But here's the thing in, to my in my book, right? regardless of how ambiguous this rule ends up being, Mm -hmm. I think you are right. I think it does say a reasonable amount of time. There's a point where it does become a competitive advantage. And why is that? Well, even if, even if it actually makes him play worse, he's getting more time than the rest of the field. And it's not, he's not getting more time because they're taking more, but they, okay. But they could have, it's not an advantage because they could have, okay. Well, imagine if everyone did this, let's add, let's add on average 30 seconds to every player's throw Throughout the whole day. We're not finishing before the, the sun well, sets. Well, then that, that becomes a group um, pace problem. But like... Well, there's no there's no group pace rule. I'm not, this is it's the group not a, pace I don't rule. think it's a competitive advantage when anybody else can do it. But no one can... That's It's the rule. But it's an ambiguous rule. I don't think it's that <laughs> ambiguous. If you're, I think if it's you, incredibly ambiguous. If you're ambiguous. marking your lie... Especially when he's only 15 what's seconds a reasonable, above. But what's a reasonable amount is like... 15 it it sec- might be like, well, I haven't had like reasonable miles. Like I look at my lie, I walk back. We're talking 45 seconds from subjective. when Nico marks his lie and is sitting there. Thirty se- Okay, but it's 30 seconds from a reasonable amount, I think is the language. And here's the thing. You take ambiguous language, add 15 seconds. I'm not seeing a huge problem. I don't. What I'm just going to let you watch how long 30 seconds is. Okay, that's a waste of time. Connor, did you find the rule? Yeah. Okay, what is it? It's rule number 802.03. Um, a player has taken excessive time if they are present and have not thrown within 30 seconds after the previous player has thrown and they have a, had a reasonable amount yeah. of time to arrive at the end of the term at, 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 at and determine the lie. And so, they are next in throwing order and the player has a clear... Yeah. So that, that was 33 seconds from when I said I was starting that timer. That right. is irrelevant to what we're talking. <laughs> I'm just about. saying there's a like, plenty of time. In I'm there. just saying that you just heard the language. It's they use that very ambiguous language. If they want to say it was when you like, but there's no real way to clock it because you could say, well, once the mini goes down, you have 30 seconds. But then he, what if he just waits to put his mini down? Like, there's no real way to clock it. Golf 
the essence of golf is there's an integrity and there's unwritten yeah, rules. Exactly. So that's and he's the, breaking all of them. Okay, but that's something that is just going to exist, and you're going to have no, you're going to so hate here's it. Here's my thing: you're is he hate it, but it's just going to happen. This is a it's form of cheating. Happen. Period. This is a form I don't of cheating, think it is. and it's not only a form of cheating by him, but every card mate he plays with that does not call him on it is also engaging in cheating. <laughs> okay, and well, now I don't know absurd. I'm not. How so? <laughs> if I watch you commit a foot fault and I don't call it, I cheated just as much as you. A foot fault is actually by the rule books cheating, while this is completely ambiguous and not actually cheating because the rules do not say it's cheating oh i'm sorry i thought we just read a rule where it's that said the rules. reasonable amount of time yeah i agree with you it's ambiguous so where, okay so where did he break the rule because how, how do you know reasonable for him might be 45 seconds so okay. how did he break the rule who's then? the one that's supposed to be deciding this is it the player themselves or is the person calling him on it Nobody can decide it. Nobody, how? nobody, how? nobody can reasonable decide. Reasonable to who? It's obviously reasonable oh, to someone. Oh, who decides what's reasonable? Exactly. The player who's taking the player the who's line. taking the time, or the player who's calling him on it. Well, I think I think if he were to call him on it, and like in, in and basketball, go, in basketball, okay, who's no, deciding what a foul is? The player who got okay. fouled, or the player, or the ref? All right. So let's say let's say it is the guy who's calling him that yeah. decides it. But then Nico then gets to argue his case to the tournament director. Sure. But then Nico gets to argue what a reasonable is too. So sure. then Nico gets also gets into it. I'm and fine with no, him arguing it. There's no way. But someone needs to call him on it. Okay, but there's no way they can re- reach a like objective punishment. Like, Nico, you broke this rule, and they can explain to him why he broke it because of that language in the rule book. That's the problem. That's literally the only problem with this. I'll agree with you. It's a problem, but that's not the only problem. It is, because Nico, if you also if you have a guy getting it. to the front of the tee, in line, it's one thing if, like— I'm not saying it's a good thing that he's doing all this. It Don't would also get me be wrong. one thing if there's one, if there's one moment where— you know, it's only happened one time. He marked the light, took forever, whatever. Or, you know, it's a super windy day. He's trying to figure it out. It happened like one or two times when he's off in the woods and he needs to walk in, look at his lie, walk back out, walk Here's back in, that- look at his lie. But when you're literally a wide open putt and you're marking your lie and you're sitting there and you're just Here's something I'd also here. like to know is I'd like to see this guy who sent you, gave you that data, is if I'd like to see if he has each one clocked because if he threw... Uh, a certain amount of shots and almost all of them were 30 seconds or just a little over 30 and then he had one that one outlier that was like a minute 30 it would ruin the whole average so like that data can but be very misleading i agree with you he I'm, been, not, I'm not basing my argument he could have been very data. close to 30 seconds on every single i watched throw. him throw multiple times he, he was did. going at least more than twice were you clocking him though? i was not clocking him <laughs> I'm not basing my my opinion is not you on this. Do some more research. My uh, opinion is not on this. My opinion is there was enough people there. that were ticked off about this that it's pretty obvious that it was not just a oh well the, Nico okay on, but the outside viewers go ahead. It does say so the second part of like figuring out how much time they have it says um, after the previous player has thrown and they have had a reasonable amount of time to arrive. To the say arrive and determine or just arrive. Arrive and determine. The that and determine is the tough part. Right. But still, I'm just saying someone somewhere need to call him on okay, it. Even so the TD can the look outrage, and be like, you know Here's what? all the outrage I'm hearing, though. It's from watchers and listeners. They have nothing to no, do. No, every single player, when they then hear they got Then they got to do something about it. I agree. That's They're why I'm like, saying the other three players on the card are just as bad as Nico because they didn't say anything yeah, about it. And I mean, the only reason they're not going to say anything is because they're worried about Nico raging. That's their problem. But you know, that's like, what this comes down that's to. That's what we like, want to see anyways. If they're upset. Egg him on a little bit. It'd be fun on live. <laughs> I agree. Let's see him slam his stool again and watch 
watched all the discs come out of his bag. That's a great highlight. <laughs> it, it, yeah, you're right though. Like at the end of the day, if people are upset about it on his card, like you're not gonna do anything about it, just complaining. Like he's obviously not gonna change. He doesn't yeah. care. So you're gonna have to. But that's where I'm saying. And the only time, the only thing that's gonna cause rule changes to happen are by being vocal about it too. Like at the PDGA, if nobody's being vocal about it, they're not gonna feel the need to change that rule book. Whereas they, if they come after it, and this whole argument we're having right now happens between Nico and a player, then the PDGA will think, huh. We should probably change that rule. But I think it's even on the TD to a certain degree. Degree. Probably. It's more on the. It's more on the TD to keep minim- the group going than it is. But the, there is the multiple. Well, yeah. I don't think you should come get on Nico specifically, but you should be getting on the group because there is multiple times <laughs> and they all where. Glare at him like it's you. There is multiple times in nationals. I don't know if you remember this, where we would be playing and we'd be on a slow card. Yeah. And we were dreading it. And Baker would. And Baker would walk out and be like, "Guys, y'all need to pick it up. You need to pick up the pace." Right. And walk away. And guess what would happen? Our card would get faster. Yeah, and it also I don't... is hurting these three players. Like, because imagine playing on a card where it's like, you step up, you throw within ten seconds. I okay. step up, I throw within ten uh, seconds. Nico steps up. I don't know. If he I'm takes being... a minute, and then Connor's sitting back there. His See, legs are you tightening. Get, you up. start exaggerating more and more. A minute. It's not. We're not a talking minute. About a I'm talking about the tee. There was about... multiple times on the tee he took a minute. See, but I don't. And know. he checked the win six times. We're talking about seconds here. We're talking and then about oh, seconds. one point. I forgot this. He said he like, rubbed his hand in dirt like another I could four times. That bend tee down, shot. grab my water bottle, take a sip, put it back, and that's 15 seconds right there. Time flies. That is not 15 the time seconds. Time flies, that's two man. I'm just saying, like, I'm just never getting upset over that. You couldn't even check the wind six times in 15 seconds if it was a speed I do agree. The wind checking thing is like like how stupid, but like because especially when I was talking about like the gusts is just gonna keep. And you know, you've watched Nico play. You know he's checking it, dapping his hand in the mud, and then, and then like wiping. I, like, I just hope you are ready for this to happen again because he just it's going won. to. He won, so what, he's I'm not, not going to change. I'm not as mad at Nico. He's I'm mad at everyone. No, no, Nico is because Nico can probably use the argument you said right and be like, I'm not even breaking a rule. Yeah, he's undefeated with that argument My until they is, change the rule book. Why is no one calling him on this? I agree. They're all they're all being why? scared. They're all scared of Nico. That's why you know he's a little if, edgy. If this is the issue. If this is the issue that we're going to have as the sport gets bigger and bigger, mm-hmm. every pro tour needs three to four marshals. Yeah. Every few holes, and they need a way that you can call a marshal over oh, regularly. I, I think it, we already need it, but That's we definitely need it if, well, soon. Well, if players are willing to call their card mates, it's not like a, it's hey, just Nico, a, I hate you. You're taking too long. You suck. The Boom. marshal it's thing, though, a, this is the rule. I think and, the marshal thing's a oh. low effort thing. Like, it, it doesn't take a lot. And it would be very helpful. Except for they need to be certified officials is where it takes a little bit. Yeah, I took one of those officials tests on a bus on the way to nationals. And <laughs> guess what? I passed eventually. Like, But another thing, too, is Nico multiple times has been the first person to call people on <laughs> weird rules. Like, remember that Ricky foot fault? And he's literally, yeah, like, hey man. he's literally like going to the crowd. He's like, no one else saw it. Look at the camera. It was it's a awesome. foot fault. It was a foot fault. But that's what I'm saying is Nico has been the first person to call people on this. And yet everyone's scared to call Nico on it. Yeah, man. Like I said, that's not that's not his problem. No, it's not a <laughs> problem. It's a, it might like, be his problem to like look at the crowd and complain. That's kind of unprofessional. But, but every other player on his card is just it's like Aiden and Betty. You know what I mean? If you're if this going was a, to jail with if them. this was a crime and you're arresting one, you're arresting all because they all committed it. I hope you can do the time you did the crime. <laughs> man, that is funny. I like that argument. Just if you're on Nico's card, and you're not calling. You are the worst. Not, what happens, not the worst, but you... you how many guys you might as just well got offended? Taking, how many guys were on Nico's card this past weekend? I mean, you should have taken 45 seconds yourself. No one was calling on your card. Why but not? I, I don't... like. There's a lot of guys that don't want that. That's the thing. I mean, look at Taylor Brooks, the guy that we just filmed the other week. Like, yeah. That guy takes point fifteen seconds. <laughs> like, yeah, I'm just throw. saying. I'm just saying like it... I don't get... Because I've heard so many players be like, 
Oh man, I miss Nico's car by one because, and then you ask why, and he's like, "It just takes so long." Or I, his outburst. I'm like, yeah. "Well, have you ever called him on a courtesy violation for an outburst or a time?" Answers no. Only people I've seen Germ one time when Nico like slammed his disc into the basket USDC, and Germ just me goes, "Cut that out, man." He's a hey, knock that off. Yeah, like, he's his dad off. or something. Yeah. that's the best. And Nate Perkins. And Nate Perkins. Yeah. Props to them. Everyone else. I mean, he's a firecracker. Come on, everyone at home is would be on your team if you just called him on excessive time. The only person that's gonna get upset at you <laughs> I'd is be Nico. on your team too because I want to see him blow up. The only person, <laughs> the only person that's gonna be upset at you is Nico. You'll have like maybe Nico. You'll like, have ten thousand fans watching live, cheering, you know, painting up their chest with your name on it because they're stoked. Maybe Nico, Nico knows guys in the mafia or something. Maybe, maybe, maybe he's got some. Maybe he's got big germs. He's got in a maybe jar. Nico. Maybe Nico's the type of guy that has the dirt on everybody, and will just they know he'll just let it fly. He's not stable enough. Like Nico knows what you did last summer, and he will tell everybody. <laughs> you know, he's I not can, afraid. I, I can see that. <laughs> that honestly, that kind of makes. Maybe sense. that's a conspiracy. Maybe that's why Big Germ hasn't been playing so good on tours when people <laughs> knock him out he cut his toe off and it's in a jar back at his house and now germ can't plant on his forehands it's all making sense now I mean, okay forget we don't need marshals we need the fbi <laughs> there's some there's some deep conspiracy stuff going on oh my gosh everything interesting that happens in disc golf centers around nico Castro, and you guys wonder why i like him so much i don't it's because he's interesting he's the most interesting man in our sport yeah he's got germ's toe in a he's, jar he's a character Can we start man. that room here <laughs> That's funny. I like that. Like, hey, Jeremy, if it's not true, show us your feet. Like, <laughs> <laughs> you, won't, tell? you won't take off your socks right now. <laughs> <laughs> and before Snip, we go too far down that road, <laughs> let's get up over. Let's get over to the FPO side of this, where it's the Kona Panda show. To be honest with you, I oh, mean, I, what this weekend is one heck of an event. Kona Panis wins by twelve strokes. 12. Was it 12 or 10? 12. Okay. Over Own Scoggins. And then Sarah Hokum came in third. I know what you're, you're sitting back home. You didn't watch the event. You probably did. You should have. But in this scenario, you're sitting home. You didn't watch the event. You're going, Hunter, Paige and Cat must not have been there. Oh, they yeah. were there. Paige Pierce, fifth yeah. place. Katrina Allen, seventh place. Well, let's look at some stats. And that's, that's like, don't hear fifth and seventh and be like, oh, they weren't that far out of it. No, they were a mile out of it. I mean, she Kona won by 12 yeah, they over, were over, over second. second. They were never in it. No. They, they stunk. Well, <laughs> I'm just I don't want to like I'm coming after us too because we we over here always like sipping on the Paige and Cat Kool Aid over here. No, I so like this is I'm like a self why, roast. I'm about to tell you why Paige wasn't in this thing. Tell me. So she struggled in two areas: scramble rate and OB. Scramble rate was That's 28. percent So when she was off the off the fairway, mm-hmm. only 28 percent of the time did she get up and down for par. 18th in the field of FPO. She That's also so... had an OB rate of 0.13, which was seven OB shots. 17th in the field of FPO. Yeah. So she was throwing, basically her, her shots weren't, that just shows you she, she didn't have control over Paige her and shots. Cat literally, when they have a bad event, it's almost always boils down to OB. Almost always. Cats but, was not. Cats OB rate was kind of well, decent. Cat is putting, I guess. Circle 1X was yeah. 60%, which was 19th. But then her yeah. scramble rate was 20%. That surprises me. Which is 25th. That surprises me that she wasn't scrambling well. But she got off the fairway. Well, Waco is yeah. a tough place to when scramble. You throw, yeah, when you throw hard, as hard as they do, you're going to be a mile off the fairway when you miss. You can't even really get a mile off the fairway. If you get a mile off the fairway it's in Waco, thick. it's thick. It's in thick in there, yeah. So scramble percentages are honestly like probably just going to depend on luck a lot at Waco. Yeah, but that was a, it was very interesting 
Because it's also like if you hit fairways, you have there, nine you win. holes of wide open golf. That pretty much your only thing is wind and a little bit of OB. Mm-hmm. Which obviously Paige struggled with OB. Cat, I mean, it was just, I guess her putting when you add the wind in, it just wasn't a good recipe. Yeah. But I mean, Kona. If you look at her stats, there's like no cracks. She was top five in literally every category except for circle two putts, where she was tenth. But I mean circle two putts are bonus you know what i mean it's not like she was losing anything Mm -hmm. it was a super super impressive performance from her all around yeah uh i think it's definitely going to be interesting to keep us on our toes um going forward and she also kind of just told us to kind of shut it about you know we thought the all-star performance (laughs) was a little bit of a fluke and it it 100 percent at this point i can say it wasn't a fluke because mesmerizing not only did she come out and win a pro tour she did it in a fashion that i could not tell you the last time we saw yeah i, I mean Paige and cat did it in a fashion at las vegas but it was two of them yeah i mean that's been when's the last time one person i don't actually know this stat i was just kind of asking a rhetorical question Especially one person that isn't one Paige person just di- yeah that'd be an even that'd bigger be further probably, probably have to go back to like elaine king or something where someone just dominated the field by themselves it doesn't happen often but you know, good for her. You know, to Kona. I'm glad we're getting some more people that like that. I hopefully this is a sign that she's gonna be around the whole season and we can have some battles. We're definitely know? gonna be looking for her at this next tournament. We kind of sl- honestly were sleeping on Kona a little bit because like she was kind of like sneaking around into the into like the top five standings almost towards the end of last year. And I feel like we kind of just ignored it because we felt like Paige and Cat were untouchable when we like we didn't realize her trajectory was probably on a pretty steep incline, like probably going upwards. I think part of it too is she's always been very vocal about like her struggles on social media, you right. know, with her putt, with whatever her throw, her forehand. One thing you don't realize is like once she got to like her forehand was really good is when she started posting about her putt and like changing right. it to a throw putt and stuff like that. Right. So I feel like. I feel like we kind of got played. Like we just watched and we were just thinking, oh, she's still struggling. But what we weren't paying attention to was like, oh, she was struggling with this and she fixed it. Then she mm-hmm. was struggling with this. Now she fixed that. Now she she's works struggling hard. with this. Oh, she fixed that. Yeah, she works hard on her game. And she's fixing everything yeah. to where she just, and she didn't even look like, I mean, she cried afterwards. It was a very emotional win. Yeah. But that was the only like break in emotion all week like she looked like a stone cold killer out there most of it like she was just walking around like She's, i belong uh, here yeah she carries herself well yeah i mean it was a, a good pro a, a great moment for her and for colton i believe there's a picture of colton videoing her crying as well because i mean that's it's so cool to, like i love seeing emotion like that because it just shows like how much it means to these yeah pros. you know I what agree. i mean yeah like, I don't know. I love when people care that much. I, do, have, I agree. You have other pros out there that just, a lot of our, they don't care. A lot of our dudes, especially a bunch of robots like yeah. Calvin Heimberg, that guy, I'm pretty sure he's, he actually might be a robot <laughs> and he's darn good disc golfer, but he might <laughs> right, be a robot. The, the programmer behind Calvin, that Heimberg guy would win. That guy can win a world title and he would just like wave and walk off and just be like, yeah, that was pretty cool. I guess like, <laughs> yes. like he would not even care <laughs> and I, it makes him so good. But like, yeah, it, it's cool to see people like get super emotional. Yeah, yeah. All right, it's time for the fan favorite part of our show, Trevor's trivia. What do you got for me this week? Um, so you know, this week I think I decided we're gonna bring back. Dun, 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 um, dun. We're gonna bring back the um. What did I did I call it catchphrase or taboo? Last time we did. Oh, this. so this is where you like give me something I gotta name the player. Yeah. So I'm gonna I'm gonna just breeze. Should randomly. we make the timer thirty seconds? Have you had a reasonable amount of time to decide this? Connor can handle it. <laughs> I think, did we do a minute last I time? I think we did two minutes, and I think we decided it was too long. Let me, yeah. 
I think we'll do a, we'll do a minute. Um, I'm gonna just scroll very randomly through um, the MPO disc golf rankings here and just pick players and try to give you clues as to see and to see how fast you can get them based on the extremely like disc golf stereotype that they have yeah probably cool so connor um okay you ready go ahead okay uh power lifting super ripped ezra yep um okay nickname is just two letters next to each other kj kevin no. jones <laughs> no it's oh anthony barella no it throws super far as well infinite discs like <laughs> oh, double G, Gary Gerthy. Okay. Why is he so many with two letters? Yeah, I didn't realize how much there was. Um, okay, uh, dreadlocks. Uh, Philo. Lefty. Call uh, Chris Clemens. Yep. Does he have dreadlocks? He has curly hair. No, I think he had dreads at some point. <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> okay, Miss Miss Red. Then Miss Red. Uh, same name. Same name as a bird. Eagle. <laughs> no, I kicked. His, I, I kicked. I kicked his. I, I'm giving the worst hits. I kicked his butt at Seco. <laughs> Raven Newsom. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, I can't even get it together. Uh, guy that you picked to be like top ten this year and he flopped. Scott Withers. Yeah, <laughs> he's filthy. He's filthy. That's it. I, I gave you the most double, <laughs> the most like um, wide range. First hits. off, let me pull up a picture of Chris Clemens. <laughs> let me show you where the did picture. you get dreadlocks? Let from. me show you the picture I was looking at, and you'll understand it. You'll understand it. Oh my um, word. Hold on. If you said two letter name, expect and there's so many. Look at um no, I said his nickname though. Look at that picture and tell me I didn't it didn't have kind of reasons. No, I mean kind of reasons. But Okay, like, now look how look how much of the picture I was looking at. Now does it make a little more sense? A little more sense. Yeah. And for some reason in that very moment my head thought, Yeah, he's got dreads. <laughs> when you said dreadlocks, I was like he could rock the only him. person that I thought because Philo has to be, dreads. To be fair, the second person you came up with after just the lefty hint was Chris Clemens. Because so I was thinking long hair somewhere in your subconscious. Well, I was about to say James Conrad because I was just thinking long I'm hair. I'm not on that the floor. stupid. <laughs> and I was like, who does who does this I guy love think that I has gave dreads? You, I literally like gave you bird name and you. No, because you said lefty. The second hint you said was lefty, and I just I threw dreadlocks out the window and with uh, long hair. Lefty. Okay. Well, your thought process was. You said accurate. bird name like. Eagle, duh. I, I know that's like the worst hint of all time. The two-letter one got me because there's so many. I didn't realize until and when you, you said, said infinite. That. that really threw me off because I was like, "Who is on Infinite's team?" <laughs> well, there's only a couple to pick from. Yeah, I just didn't know them. Shoot. Well, that, that was an eventful so segment. <laughs> that's so. It's always funny when I have no idea what I'm gonna do and I just start naming things. <laughs> I, I'm like half of my mind is trying to give you the hints. The other half is like, do not say something regrettable here. <laughs> like when my brain's in that mode, I might just blur out something shocking. <laughs> something you're not supposed to know. Yeah, like oh that that nobody knows about that hint. <laughs> well, that hint's coming out next week. Whoops. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right, let's uh, let's jump into a little preview for the Open at Belton. Um, what a classy name can I first say? Yeah, the Open at Belton. Uh, absolute stacked field. Yeah, it's, for my, a silver it's series. pretty much a pro tour. Yeah, this this could this should just be a pro tour. I mean, pretty much every big name MPO player is there. FPO, it's pretty much everyone except for Page. Yeah, is there? Yeah. Uh, so hashtag where's Page? Yeah, honestly. So let's just look at MPO first. Um, I don't know too too much about this course. I know from what I've heard. The pars are interesting. Pars are kind of interesting, but other than that, players really like seem to like it. Seem to seem to like the style. Mm-hmm. I've seen some clips of the turf tee pads. It looks like it's literally from 
a like lacrosse or something like some of them have the like end zone lines and stuff like that like even some color on them yeah, looks kind of cool yeah it's not a bad thing oh, i was saying it's a good thing i thought it kind of looked cool maybe oh. for professionalism of the sport yeah. no but it's a silver series okay this isn't a big pro tour event just feels like one who cares about the silver series anyways uh mpo side let's just come right into predictions here who's who's taking this down what's your top three looking Honestly, like on the MPO? man these predictions are getting almost impossible but at the same time more interesting for the listeners because they actually are like going to be different instead of just the same people um i'm not completely swaying off of it yet i'm going to stick with my guns kind of but i'm going to keep throwing in a third guy that's like sneaky that i'll feel accomplished um so first i have calvin because he has been one of the guys that is predictably consistent um finishing second and fourth so far in the pro tour uh and then i have paul in second Although he's clinging onto my top three just barely right now. If he doesn't pick it up, he's going to find himself dropped. And then, you know, third, Mr. Dreadlocks himself, Chris Clemens. <laughs> That's my sleeper pick. Chris Clemens is having a good season. Um, seems to play well in Texas historically. So that's my. You mean last event? Are you looking? No, I, I looked oh, a little okay. further. I, just meant, yeah. um, I wouldn't drop a line like that. Now, MPO, I was right. On my my one of my picks last week, which was Paul, I wasn't in the top three. So smart. Instead, Paul's winning this event, and I'll tell you why. It's for the exact <laughs> opposite reason that I didn't have him in the top three last week. Mm-hmm. Waco, he didn't get there until a little late. His practice rounds were a little rushed. He just didn't seem that prepared for Waco. Belton, I'm sensing a different Paul. I, I texted him it. about the course. He really likes the course. He said he hasn't seen it. Hadn't seen a course like it in a long time. He was really feeling good about it. He showed up he there. He said it had a Northern California feel. Yeah, which mm, mm, that smells good like in danger. California. That smells danger. Uh, <laughs> also, he showed up with plenty of time to prepare this week. I think he's going to get a lot of good practice in. Yeah. Uh, he seems focused. I think Paul takes this one down. It's going to be his. I, I mean, I can't say it's a statement win because it's not a pro tour event, but it's going to be another good win for him to get under his belt. Calvin, though. I don't know as of right now if I can ever justify not having Calvin in the top three. He's a machine. Calvin's the guy right now that is constantly performing. Even a bad week like last week was fourth place for him. So We're good. seeing a really good season out of Calvin. He's in my top three. And my kind of sleeper pick, I'm going with the same model as you. I'm sneaking someone up in there. Do it. Bradley Williams. Good pick. He's a Texas local. Good pick. We don't see him on tour much. One of the smoothest forms you'll ever see. And then just played Solid. extremely well at Waco. Keeps a disc in play. Good yeah, driver. I think that I definitely think he's going to perform pretty well out here. I think he's going to be comfortable. He knows the Texas conditions, and he's proven that he can play in it. I'm going to just keep that rolling with my FBO predictions. Valerie Mandujano, flip side of that same coin, is taking down the FPO. Wow. Here's why. Here's why. So far, the first few tournaments, it seems like she's been putting together great rounds, and there's been one round that's held her back. One, like one round has kind of stopped her from mm-hmm. being completely up there where she's in contention to win. It's true. Uh, and I think that that ends this weekend. I think that she silver series page isn't there. She might have a little less pressure on herself from her own mind. You know, she might just go out there and just throw the disc. It's in Texas again. She's going to be kind of close to home. I don't actually know where she lives, but Texas is massive. So I can't even say close to home. She might be like literally 10 hours from home in (laughs) Texas. Regardless, she's in her home state. Uh, I think she's going to play well. I think she's going to take it down. Katrina Allen. I have as my second place pick. Um, it depends on what cat shows up if she's first or if she's 10th i don't you know it's Mm -hmm. a very interesting season but again i can't really justify not putting her up there in third place i'm rolling with kona panis yeah i mean she played too good last weekend to not put her up there but 
I don't think she's going to go back-to-back, personally. I do. Okay. <laughs> I've got her first again. Um, I just, I mean, you know, we're still in Texas. Um, Paige isn't there. Honestly, until she changes my mind again, she looks like a player that's going to be tough to beat. Um, I have Kat in second and uh, Valerie Mandahano in third. So we had the same top three, just different order. Interesting. That's kind of funny. Yeah. But, um, man, Katrina Allen gets picked in second place more than anybody has ever been picked in yeah. second place. <laughs> Honestly. But she comes in second place a lot. Um, yeah. It wouldn't surprise me if Kat won this one. Yeah, it wouldn't. By any means. It's just going to be tough for her to win when her putt, I feel like, is really behind. Yeah. That's what it comes down to for me. All right. Well, I think that's all we have for this week's show. It's time to jump into the final segment. Make that call. I forgot to do this last week. I don't think you forgot. I think you made a business decision. No, I didn't even have one written down. Right. But like, <laughs> I think, <laughs> I I think you were going to do it really quick. And then you were like, it's not worth it. Let's oh. roll. That's That was my assessment of you in that moment. Well, I'm glad that I, was your That's assessment. why there was zero shock on my face when you didn't go to make my call. I was like, that's Hunter. No, no, I just forgot. I just didn't even write it down. I forgot the segment. <laughs> well, existed. I gave you more credit than you than you need, I guess. Yes. Um, all right, but we're gonna paint you in another scenario. Do it. All right, so you step up to a hole. All right, there's it's basically a dead straight hole. There's OB though all along the right side. You decide you're gonna throw a hyzer flip. Out of your hand, you pull it slightly. It flips up and rides right along the OB, starting about 50 feet off the tee is when it gets to about the OB line. Rides right along it before about 200 feet farther. Mm-hmm. It starts to fade to the right and never makes it in bounds. It turns over. Yeah, turns over. OB never makes it in bounds. Where are you taking your lie from? Where it went out of bounds. Is there a trick question here? Well, yeah, but where did it go out of bounds in that scenario? You threw it, flips up, and hovers above <laughs> the OB line, oh, and then hides yeah. out. Basically, my question is, if it was exactly over top of the OB line? Yeah, in this scenario. Is it when the disc first breaks the OB line or when the disc fully in the air? At what point are you? is your OB? So is it the 50 or the okay. 250? Well, Let's just picture it's a perfect flight where it got to 50, rode it dead straight, and then 250. So, off. well, first off, let's get past the problem of you're going to have to, like, you're your card mates are going to have to like determine that that's what happened. Yeah. Okay. You, so your card ignoring, mates, ignoring that, exactly well, lines are safe in disc golf, right? Well, that is that decided? No. Yeah. Lines are safe. I thought it was the opposite. It doesn't matter. Now, if you're on part of the rope, you're in. Okay. Are you? Yeah. Okay. This is the line. Your disc is no? this. It has to be crossed over in balance. If, if a little bit of it is crossed. Yeah. I'm pretty sure the line is OB. The line is OB. Yeah. The line's OB in disc golf. Pretty sure that's a rule. I'm pretty sure yeah. you're right, Google but that. I'm pretty, pretty sure, sure the that's. Lines I guess I was thinking. I was, okay, your no, disc is half. I was so thinking. I was thinking more line is safe in the sense like you could be touching the line, but also be in bounds. I think that's what I was thinking. Yeah. So at what point is it when you first no. cross break the barrier? Or was it fully? So when at what you, point is when you cross OB? Is what I'm asking. You have to be fully over the line. So you're saying well, fully. Okay, so in this case, if the line is not safe, you'd be fully to where your disc is no longer touching part of inbounds. So you're saying the 250 foot. Yeah. Yeah. All right. You're right. Yeah. It's when the yes, entire Connor. disc. The out of bounds line is part of the out of bounds area. Yeah. Okay. So the OB line is OB. Okay. Uh, it's when the entire disc crosses that line. So to be super technical, since the disc is a circle, there's a single point of last contact with the inner edge of the OB line. That is the point you use for your marking. Yes. It always was. All right. That's all we got for this week's episode. Be sure to. Uh, Check us out on all of our social media. Also, check out our other YouTube channel, 
uh, if you haven't already, just Foundation Disc Golf. Uh, check us out on Instagram, all of that. Keep up with the new drops. There's a lot of stuff going on, a lot of stuff hitting the site pretty much nonstop at this point. Uh, we really appreciate all of your support, and we'll talk to you next week.